Love Talk Radio. Welcome, Brother Anthony. 
Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings uh, to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Father and Brother Anthony, we now will bring in Brother Haki. Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the Move. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. <clears throat> my name is Haki Kamathi Mishoki, Colonel with African Awareness, and my thing is <clears throat> institution building. And recently, Brother Africa, I read an article and which really underscores why institutions are so important. But in any event, there was a former judge in Ohio by the name of Teresa Hunter who was convicted, and this was four years later, for allegations she provided information to her brother about a juvenile detainee in custody who was alleged he assaulted. And the whole idea was that by providing information to her brother that would prevent him from losing his job. Now, unfortunately, ironically, uh, Judge Hunter alleged the information that she provided was the psychological profile of a particular youth, and the information that she provided was already public knowledge. Now, ironically, Brother Africa, the state Supreme Court judge, uh, Patrick DeWine, who presided over this case, had actually violated Ohio's laws and he emailed the prosecutor's office asking them to hire his son for a summer, summer internship. Now, supporters of uh, the former judge, an African woman, believe the six-month sentence was really retaliation for Ms. Hunter's success for defeating the political machine there in Ohio that sought to prevent her from winning because of her progressive agenda. And her progressive agenda included, you know, uh, prevention of arbitrary arrest of children, diversionary programs, and the focus on keeping children's families together. And clearly this agenda, uh, we have a lot of conservatives the wrong way who like to see kind of dissolution, like to see the dissolvement of, of the family unit because in their interest, at least they believe that if you have an African community that's, that's, that's in chaos, that it's in their interest. So clearly her, her agenda, being positive as it is, was all about uh, strengthening the African community, which didn't sit well with a lot of conservatives. Now, the paradox of this case for the Africa is, you know, the often we talk about is young people growing up, Talked about the fact that we were told by the elders, you know, get your education, you know, go into the system, you know, change the system within. Where the paradox is that the sister, she did. She, she, she went to school. She studied hard. She became a lawyer, ultimately became a judge, elected to become a judge, and she tried to change the system within, only to aggravate, to, 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 to anger those ambitions of power. And as a consequence, she found herself doing six months in jail because, you know, those people in positions of power want to send a, lesson, a message to her and the people like her who actually try to change the system for the good. So clearly we have to have institutions to really deal with these problems that pervade our communities. And without the institutions to deal with these problems, the reality is that we can't realistically expect a system which is diametrically opposed to our interests to actually step forward and, and, and proclaim that it does, in fact, have an interest in our community. So we need institutions in terms of combating these systematic wrongs, and without these institutions, we're in real trouble. And, um, and having said that, I conclude to say thank you for having me, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Father Brother Haki, we're bringing Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism since the moment I was introduced to Marxism in a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, 
and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. All right, thank you, Brother Moses, and welcome again. Panelists, let's start out with that segment, what's going on in your world and community. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the the community? Okay, um, a few things. Um, uh, I'll start off with an incident that's gotten little attention but went viral on Facebook. In Mississippi, there was a, uh, there was a brother by the name of uh, his first name is David. He was uh, he was uh, beaten up by uh, by a group of uh, policemen in this county in Mississippi. Uh, uh, you know he uh, you know he was severely injured. Yet uh, the sheriff of the county in which this took place. Denied that the police did uh, did, 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 did anything wrong In spite of the evidence that the brother was severely beaten Uh, This took place in a county in Mississippi I don't recall which county it took place in And also uh, over the weekend there were two mass shootings One in El Paso and one in Dayton, Ohio uh, they were about nine, uh, approximately 20 people killed and 26 injured in the mass shooting in El Paso. And uh, that uh, uh, apparently seemed to be racially motivated since the shooter was a European that targeted uh, so-called Mexicans, who are really the indigenous people of this hemisphere. And the other shooting took place in Dayton, Ohio, in which uh, at least nine people were killed, including uh, the the shooter was killed also by the police. I don't have as much uh, uh, information about that mass shooting. Hmm. We'll come back to that discussion, Brother Anthony. Brother Haki, what's going on in your world and the community? Yeah, a couple of things. First, let me point out that the African Awareness Association was doing a solidarity tour to Cuba. This trip takes place October 31st and November 6th. When you ask people to give us a call for more information, you can contact contact us at 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435 or email us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two, at gmail.com and encourage people to go to Cuba and see themselves firsthand. You know, Cuba is such a magnificent place, not only to visit but to live. Now, I haven't said that, Brother Africa. You know, I, you know, you, you know, recently, you know, there's been a lot of discussion in terms of the attempts by the system, particularly Republicans, to disenfranchise African people from voting. And there's a case of, called Crystal Mason out of Texas, and she was a mother of three who was imprisoned in Texas for five years because she did vote. Now, Ms. Mason was previously convicted of, uh, of inflated tax returns. Of course, we understand in the context of America, only wealthy people can get away with inflating their tax returns. Now, upon her release from prison, um, you know, she casted a provisionary ballot, which, by the way, was not counted. And despite the fact that was the, ba- the, the ballot wasn't counted, the prosecutor office decided to seek charges. Now, Ms. Mason was unaware, apparently, in Texas, 
no one is allowed to vote if they have not completed the entirety of their sentence. So being on uh, parole disqualifies such individuals from voting. And the fact that she her vote did not count suggests protecting the sanctity of the process was less a motivating factor for charges than to create an atmosphere of fear so as to discourage others in the African community from voting. So clearly, you know, this this this, this impetus in terms of ensuring all costs that African people don't vote has been a driving thing, you know, the system and the Republicans in particular. And and given that backdrop, it seems to me, Brother Africa, you know, if if, if we can't be assured that our votes are going to count if we're going to take the electoral avenue, then it seems to me at the very minimum then we then we have to have organization in the community uh to get the things done that we need to get done. So clearly this is a miscarriage of justice and uh so under schools to the extent that it would go to not African people, their rights in society. So I think it's something that we gotta be very, very mindful in America. Okay, thank you, Brother Hackey. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Yes, uh, these killings have got to stop. Um the Ohio and uh and El Paso. Also, um in August of 2016, there was a 32-year-old Tony Temper uh, called 911 and asked for help. And um, he, he Temper had schizophrenia and depression, and was off his medication for schizophrenia. And so he knew he was he was having problems, and he called the Dallas police. And uh, to make a long story short, he ended up dead. Um, um, he they he he was claimed he doing the altercation. Uh, this this week they released the body camera footage from the police department. Um, they just released it after all this time, and um, in it he's saying, "You're gonna kill me! You're gonna kill me!" And uh, sure enough, they killed him. And uh, and so far there's been no discipline, no no action whatsoever in terms of the. Police department. Uh, uh, they put a. They put his. They put him. They grabbed him. Uh, put him on the ground. Put his knee on his on his back and then uh, basically crushed him and uh, and he died and um, and um, I don't know. It's just another example of, of why we need a different kind of society and different kind of people in control of the government. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. You know, panelists, there are so many things going on, but a couple of issues that, were, that 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 you raised earlier uh, during this segment, starting with um, you, Brother Anthony, around this mass shooting in Dayton, Ohio, and El Paso, Texas. Just just to the panelists in general, what do you make out in terms of the continuation of these kind of mass shootings? Uh, what is the conditions for it? And really, I'm surprised we don't have more of it, just based upon the nature of the fabric of this particular um, system that we live in, this capitalist system in the U.S. So what does y'all take on? Why does this continue to re-encourage more and more and more? And how does the present administration and the system itself feed into this, 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 into this narrative of a continuation of these mass shootings? Brother Anthony first, the high key, then Moses. Sure. Well, um, uh, the that root at root the problem is ideological. There is a segment of the European population, and it's existed throughout uh, throughout U.S. history, 
that believes, that has the attitude that that, that the U.S. belongs exclusively to the European settler colonialists. Uh, You know, uh, it belongs to Europeans only, and no one else counts. And that and uh, and and that attitude is um, has been well articulated, particularly by the Trump administration. But it's an ideological problem. Now, an, another variable also is the ease with with which people can obtain fire mu- firearms if they have the money to buy them. It is in some cases it is it, it is harder to get a pet than it is to get uh, to, to get all kinds of firearms and stockpile them. Uh, but but it's uneven because uh, some states have strict stricter uh, gun gun control policies than others. But uh, a lot of places where these mass shootings are occurring are occurring in areas where they have very uh, lax, uh, 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 you know, uh, gun laws for the most part. And so it's a combination of uh, 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 of racism, the ease with which weapons can be obtained, and the hostility that exists towards the indigenous people of this hemisphere and the African population. Okay, to our listening audience, you will listen to Africa on the Move. Right now, we're discussing what's going on in our world community. And the next five minutes coming up, we have our special guests today, which will be Sister Janine and Janet, along with Sister Pan Africa, that will be coming on shortly, to give us a update and talk about their struggles. As you know, today is part two, sharing our victories and our struggles. And today, we're really going to talk about our struggles. And we're going to be talking to Sister Janine and Janice, Janine and Sister Janet, along with Sister Pam, as it relates to this ongoing struggle and war against the Moon family. So we're going to be doing that shortly, but we will continue in the next five minutes, finish out the segment. We'll take a station break, then we'll bring them in. So, Brother Hackey, your response to this question of this mass shooting in the United States, what's the fabric that allows this, these kind of behavior, these kind of actions to continue? Well, at, at the heart of it is a system in place which encourages this kind of thing. I think one of the things you got to understand, as the system continues to deteriorate, or as it deconstructs, one thing is very clear. The ruling class understands that, you know, without, you know, you know, unless there is some type of uh, uh, unity, uh, their, their, their power is not threatened. So ideologically, the thing they have to do, which is so important to them, is to make sure they create a situation in which they pit people against one another. So what's happening in, in the system is that what they're doing is that they're consciously making a, a, a choice to pump out, you know, negative kinds of propaganda, specifically propaganda which pits one group against one group of people against another. And so therefore, what happens is in pitting one group against another, then inevitably you're going to have these kind of things. And superimposed upon this, brother Africa, is the problem that we often talk about in terms of, you know, uh, people's mindsets. Uh, I recently read an article with some biological uh, uh, neurologists. We talked about the fact that the conservative mind, and one of the things they talked about is conservative mind tends to have a very difficult time in terms of understanding, you know, historical experiences and make sense of them. Often we look at a situation and we extrapolate and we learn a lesson from the past, but the conservative mind operates differently. 
And so therefore it's building terms of deconstructive to look at the past and say, well, this happened, so therefore if I, pursue, if I, if I continue on this course, then this is going to happen. So the ability in terms of actually breaking away from this, this, this mindset they previously had uh, remains intact, irrespective of the kind of information that they take in. So that is what new, that's what the scientists are saying in terms of the conservative mindset. And I suspect that a lot of these shooters out here have that mindset. And so despite the fact, you know, that history tells them, you know, that there's more going on to meet the eye, I think that's, they, there's this propensity among these kind of people to simply, you know, see this is this, this, this glamorized version of America, something that doesn't really exist, but only exists in their mind. And, and, and also in that context, begin to see people of color, uh, and specifically, you know, uh, African people as somehow the adversary, somehow the enemy. So I think this kind of thing is, as you alluded to, Brother Africa, is, is, is part of the course. And we can anticipate more of that as time go on. And keep in mind, this kind of, this kind of strategy in terms of fitting one against the other, one, one people against the other, is not just, in, it's just a national. It's global. This is something the U.S. and other Western leaders are doing around the globe. So it's a strategy that works, and as long as you have this, this mindset, people are in a, unable, for whatever reason, to deconstruct, to look at the past and make sense of the past, then you got people who are vulnerable to all kinds of manipulation. So I think what happens is that, you know, this kind of thing is going to happen with some frequency, and it's something that I think the African community has to prepare itself for, because that's no getting around that. No matter how conservative you are, no matter how much you vote, no matter how much you are patriotic, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is that this kind of thing is going to escalate. It's not going to decrease because people in positions of power want this kind of behavior to escalate. And that's where we are in terms of history today. I thank Brother Hackey and your point. It must be um, a knowledge that we continue to share with our people is that, that one of the issues we're facing in this society around the world is the capitalist system is at war with African people. They don't realize it. We are at war. And not until we come with a proper analysis of uh, what we're dealing with, we will continue to be behind the eight ball. So anyway, Brother Hackey, we thank you, and we'll go with Brother Moses, and then we'll take a station break and bring on our special guest. Brother Moses, your response to the question, what do you think, what do you think is the basis for how this society has contributed to the continuation of these mass shootings? Yeah, I, I agree with, with what's been said so far. Uh, definitely, it's, it's a question of of uh, the social, the top top uh, part of the system, and, the, and down to the bottom is capitalist and imperialist, and it was and it was built. The system and the institutions are built on on the exploitation of black labor and and people of color, and in particular and and it's compounded by by year to year institutionalized racism uh, that is that is just that has never really been resolved and dealt with, and so it is an ideological problem as well. Uh, uh, in that you know the the dominant capitalist mode is I for. I for myself and everybody else has to get their own get mine and and don't worry about anybody else and so we need a a a, a party in power a government in, that says uh, we are for the people and we we support the people in their struggles day to day struggles and uh, that they're more important than than a 
private enterprise. And uh, so until this kind of thinking of, of humanity, humane, humane uh, uh, positions on issues is taking over the government, we're going to continue to have these kind of problems because the the system is the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poor and and so the the and the institutions are just uh, getting more and more racist as as time goes by and so you know it's an institutional problem and uh, we need a revolution to, in order to solve it. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, and to our listening audience who listen to Africa on the Move. We often tell you that if we define it, we'll stand behind it, we'll set in the seat, and we'll take the heat. What we're going to do right now, we're going to take a station break, and when we come back, we're going to bring in our sister Pam, Janine, and Janet Africa. We're going to bring them in, and they're going to talk about their struggles, which is our struggles, and we want them to write the history of their struggles, not the enemy. Many times when we look at the history of African people, most of the time it's not even written by our people, it's written by outsiders. So what we want to do is allow this platform today to first um, let us just know we're glad that they have been able to um, come out of one of these dungeons, what they call the prison system, and into another one, which is called the U.S., and we want to learn from their experiences and see what kind of encouragement information we can give them to continue to struggle. They have been great examples of, of freedom fighters in terms of continuing to fight against injustice at all kind of odds. So we're going to come back. We're going to allow them to tell their stories. And don't you go nowhere. You listen to Africa on the Move in the comments question. We invite you to call 323-679-0841. So we're going to pause for the calls. I'll be right back. Africa. Yeah. 
like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. Yes, we're going to make sure you never forget that you were stolen from Africa and brought to America, fighting upon arrival and still fighting for your survival. And on that night, we have some sisters with us who typifies this reality. We have with us Sister Pan Africa and Sister Janet and Janae Africa. They're going to come and tell us their story, dealing with their struggle as it relates to the ongoing battle of the enemy constantly fighting and attacking the family of Moo. Sister Pam, like always, we'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move, and for this segment, you're going to be my co-facilitator. So welcome to Africa right. on the Move, Sister Pam. All right, on the move, and thank you for having us again. Janet and Janine is there? Yeah, on the move. Okay, I was making sure because you had to push that one. And when I gave them the information, I didn't tell them. I tried to make sure I got got back to them with it. And uh, but um, welcome, family. Um, this is going to be a very intense program. We've always brought you information about what's going on with moving Momia. And my sisters was just recently released from prison. We had um, Debbie, Mike, Janet, Janine, and um, Eddie. You know who have uh, been released um, within the last uh, year and a half, and uh, but we want to deal with an emergency that's going on first before we go back into you know our family coming you know home, and uh, because well once we get into that you know people understand what it is that we're talking to, but we just really want to start off dealing with this situation with our brother Delbert Africa who was. Um, Rushed to the hospital last week. No, rushed to the hospital this week, and uh, because he was um, swollen from his waist down to his uh, down to his foot, to his toes, and he tried to get a doctor to come in last week to see him, and uh, but they refused, and it wasn't until we put pressure on them that they did decide to go in, and when they went in, they took Delbert last this Tuesday. And we haven't heard from Delbert since. And we were talking to um, back and forth to the um, uh, lawyer who was dealing with a couple people from the hospital. And uh, but now they were told that you know they can you know we can't get any information on them. They told not to give us any information from the prison authorities on up to you know um, to the hospital itself. Now, the dangers in that is that we've already had two people that was murdered by this government, you know, in their uh, in their hospitals, in the, uh, you know, because they was in the prison. I want to make this perfectly clear. If you go back into the history of MOVE, you will find nothing but strong health that is reported on from around the world. And our uh, people are always, and our, uh, um, you know, amazed at the strength that Move, you know, portrayed on the street and inside the prison. And uh, when Move was arrested on August 8, 78, there was no health problems whatsoever. Years being in this prison, eating their food and, you know, just dealing with the things that they have. And uh, um, Delbert is now, you know, sick. We don't know what it is that caused his sickness. All we know is that in 1978, 
innocent, healthy, strong, moved people that's committed to the teachings of John Africa, which they still is, but there's some illnesses going on there. And this is what we want to expose, the fact that our brother Delbert right now, and we have not heard from him since Tuesday, and when... The last we heard from him was the description that, you know, we gave. Um, they're saying that they don't want us, they don't want to tell us where he's at because of security risks, right? And I'm saying, you know, they can go somewhere else with that because when our brother Phil Africa was in their hands in that prison, in a hospital of their choice, and uh, Phil, because of the pressure, that people put on this government because they tried that same thing with Phil, and uh, they brought a phone to Phil in the hospital to let us know that Phil is, you know, that Phil was, you know, that we were able to talk to Phil, not that he was okay because he was in their hands, but we were able to talk with him. Then because of the pressure that people put on this government, we were allowed to have move members, family members, go in and visit Phil Africa. And um, Phil mysteriously died. He wound up with a sickness, you know, um, that was given to them. Now we're really, really worried about our brother Delbert Africa and all because they're refusing. They're refusing to allow the lawyers to speak to him. They're refusing to allow his daughter to speak to him. No MOVE member has been able to speak to them, but we do have reports from people who've seen him the last time, you know, when he was in their hands, and now he's in the hospital, and um, they said Delbert did not look good at all to them. And, uh, in fact, Brother Russell Maroon Schultz, and all uh, who's in the same prison, um, you know, some people know he's a political, another political prisoner from Philadelphia, and all uh, he saw him, and he described Delbert's face as being swollen, and he had like two um, puffed eyes, and he said they were real puffed on both sides of his face, and all uh, bags. And uh, and they were all they were real dark, and his eyes wasn't clear, and he wasn't focusing good, and he wasn't walking well. We're demanding, and uh, with the help of the brothers and sisters around the world, to put enough pressure on, you know, this government, and uh, to you know get Delbert, uh, you know, to give us a call, and uh, you know, and as well to allow family members to go up and visit him, you know, whether it's in their hospital or whether it's in the prison, we're demanding, we want to see, because they have killed. And I want to point this out. Delbert was due to, um, for, um, I mean, he went before the parole board. He was supposed, um, about a year and a half ago, before they started letting people go, Delbert was the first one to go before the parole board. They gave him a five-year hit. Then they let Debbie, Debbie out. And, uh, and they didn't let our other sisters out, and both all of them was on the same charges. And, uh, you know, um, and then right after that, they let our other sisters out, but all that came from mass, mass protests, mass pressure on politicians, prison officials, going up to the prison and demonstrating. They let our sister, um, first they let Mike go, then they let Janet and Janine go, now Eddie. And uh, now the oldest MOVE member, when we went in, it was the MOVE 9. The youngest one is, is, is in 
die, you know, need of medical help, need to get out of there. And our brother, our committed brother, and our Delbert Africa, and our, you know, who is the oldest, that this government seen as a threat because they seen Delbert as the leader of MOVE. And our, when they know nothing about the MOVE organization, every member in MOVE is a leader. And our, but they targeted Delbert. They targeted the youngest person. And, our, and they treated them, you know, the worst. Delbert, when he came up for probation, for parole, they gave him a five-year hit. And we were able to, right after Janet, Janine, and Eddie got out, to force them to back up off of that, and he's supposed to be released next month. All of a sudden, our brother, and all you know, is in the hospital. We have no idea where he's at. People are saying that he could barely walk. He's in their hands. When he was in the hands of Move, when he was in the hands of John Africa, he was healthy and strong. I'm telling you, people used to just talk about the strength of Move men inside them prisons. And all you know, and now they're breaking it down and they think that we're going to sit by and allow them and all to do whatever they want to Delbert. And all you know, again, Phil Africa, when they took him to that hop to the hospital that they took him to, and all Phil was a healthy person running around and things, and next thing you know, he was dead. And all you know, and we, you know, uh, my sisters, I believe they have the numbers, you know, uh, there. And then, you know, I also want to talk, you know, when we finish talking about that, talk about what led up to, and uh, why is Delbert in prison? Why is Janet Janine and um, the rest of the Moo family in jail did over 40 and 41 years in prison, and they couldn't break them. They couldn't, you know, make them bow down and be wrong and give a filthy example. They've always given good, strong, you know, examples. Um, so I think we, since I'm the co-host, <laughs> yeah, um, bring Janet and um, Janine on and uh, and let them fill in and, you know, we'll host and co-host will pop in and out. Okay, On the move. Lynn. On the move. Janet, Janet mm-hmm. can you briefly introduce yourself and tell the people a little something about you? Who is Sister Janet? This is this is Janine Africa, and I just want to say before we go on, we want people to call Superintendent Ransom of SCI Dallas, and his phone number is five seven oh six seven five one one oh one extension three five one and to call the hospital Geisinger Hospital and that number is five oh seven eight oh eight three one oh oh this is very important to us and we we want people to just flood these places with calls because we have to let them know that they are being watched and that they will not be allowed to do to Delbert what they did to Phil and Merle Africa. People have to understand how serious this is. I mean, dropping that bomb should show everybody how desperate this system is to get rid of move people, to stop John Africa. And because they have to let move people out now, 
I feel like they are deliberately trying to kill Delbert before he gets out on parole. And we want people to do whatever they can to help save Delbert Africa's life. It's very, very urgent. This is not us move people exaggerating. We have the examples to back up that this system has killed two move people and deemed it under suspicious circumstances. On the move, y'all, this is Janet Africa. We want y'all to understand how serious this situation is and why it's so serious. Anytime you take a stand against this system, decide to expose this system, this is what they do to you. On May 13, 1985, they dropped the bomb and murdered 11 of our family members, five children, including our animals, because they wanted to stop move. I mean, everybody, just take a minute, take a minute, and look at this example. If they see us as ragtag revolutionaries, if they see us as nothing going on, they wouldn't waste the time or the energy trying to stop us. But this system knows that John Africa has direction to direct people away from this rotten system to a perfect system. And because they know that, they, they want to annihilate us. They want to annihilate John Africa's teaching. They want people to become slaves to the system. And they know that John Africa has to, the direction to free people from this system. And this is why they do what they do to move to people that fight against this system. Listen, we've had so many demonstrations against this system. We've had so many arrests, so many beatings, so many jailings. The brutality that was thrown on our family, women, children, and our men, beaten, bones broken, stomped, kicked, what they did to Delbert on August 8th when he came out the house last. They took a helmet and bust him right in the head and then took a rifle butt and just kept banging him in the face, banging him in the face. And once he fell to the ground, they kicked and stomped him until he went unconscious one step from being dead. When we had saw Delbert a couple of months later, we had a meeting, and Delbert walked in. Everybody was turning their head because they didn't want to see his face because they knew he, his eye would be hanging out or his face would be all distorted. So as he came into the room, people slowly turned around to look at him to see how he looked. And the only thing that was wrong with Del was his eye was a little bit red, and his nose was running because that's how bad they had beat him, but they didn't kill him like they wanted to because they see Delbert as the leader. They see him as strong, and they want to stop him. People know what they do to people they see as leaders, directing somebody in a, a direction they don't want to be directed in. But like Pam said, Delbert is not our leader. John Africa teach move to lead ourselves. But the point that's being made is because this system has standards about the way they see men, the way they see people standing up, they come at the men hard. They came at us hard, too, because they beat us that day, the women, too. But the point is they wanted to kill Delbert then in 1978. But because they couldn't, they put him in jail. Delbert has been in jail over 41 years. And now they gave him a five-year hit. Because the power of the people, the assertions, the support that people have been writing letters, calling, and complaining about 
nine innocent people being in prison for a crime they know we didn't commit. A cop got killed, got shot in the back of the head, and the bullet traveled downward. Move people were in the basement, making it impossible for us to have shot rim. But the point is that they wanted to kill Delbert then, and they failed. After he'd been in jail 41 years, they gave him a five-year hit because of the people. Delbert got supposed to see the parole board in September. Now, here comes September. All of a sudden, Delbert comes up with this illness that, you know, nobody's heard of. There's no, been no symptoms of it. You know, why all of a sudden is this happening to Delbert? This is what we want people to understand. That this is what they did to our brother Phil. Janine, she just got finished speaking. Her husband, they murdered him in prison. He went to, he had stomach problems and went to the infirmary. Two weeks later, our brother Phil was dead under suspicious circumstances. And this is why we are so, so very upset about what is going on in this prison now, while they won't allow Delbert to make any phone calls to his family, while they won't allow us to see Delbert, why not? Why not? Delbert can make a call from there just as easily as anything, but they refuse to do it because we feel that they're trying to murder Delbert the same way they murdered our brother Phil, and we cannot allow that. People cannot allow that because if it's done to move, it can be done to you and your family too. And this is what we want people to realize, the power of the people. We need your help. We need your support. We need you to call those numbers that Janine gave you to stop these people because once they know they're being watched They'll back off, and this is what we need for these people to back off before they kill our brother Delbert like they killed our sister Merle, our brother Phil, 11 of our family members in 1985. Don't let these people get away with that. I mean, you know, we've been watching our brothers shot down in the street by the brutality of these cops that have no care, no feelings, and now they're killing them in the hospital. You know, it's just going on down the line. We've got to stop this somewhere. We have got to come together. You know, it's time people realize that being united is being strong. Because when you have a fist and you have five fingers and you spread that fist and each finger is going in a different direction, the power is not strong. But when you bring those five fingers together as a mighty fist, you got some power there. And this is what the people need to do come together, stand together, work together. This is the only way this police brutality, this murder is going to stop. Okay, Sister Pell, we'll let you take it from here, and we will follow your lead. Okay, uh, since I'm the co-host, um, there was two confrontations that happened, and uh, the 1978 confrontation, which brought about what was known as the Move Nine, and, uh, and which led to the beating of Delvin, uh, led to the arrest of nine of nine people. I saw an example then, and uh, that I have not have yet to leave. And uh, on May 20th, 1977, when Move took a defensive stand and it wound up into a year-long confrontation where this government cut off food and water supplies for, was it two months? How many days was that? I can't remember. Nene, 40 Janet, days. 40, 40 days. days. Right. 40 days. Food, food, and, uh, food and water supplies. And uh you know, people, you know, need to know about 
you know, people loved Move so much that when on May 20th, and I'm telling you, I did not like Move that morning. And I go, I think I did this 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 part before on your shows, and uh, but people are sure that you know who I am is because of Move, and people see that strength, and you know they talk about it was the example. Janet, Janine, and uh, um, and, and and the rest of the move members was on the platform, and they, you know, I remember them saying that they, you know, you know about the babies that was killed long before there was a May 13th, and all move babies were being murdered by these cops because they were trying to stop move from speaking out about the uh, injustices that they were seeing, and. What I learned dealing with, you know, move and our, um, and I always share is how this government manipulates you into seeing things that, you know, um, you know, through through their eyes instead of through your own. And uh, because on May 19th, I did not like move 1977. The morning of May 20th, I didn't like move because I believed everything I read, everything I saw on the media and people who, you know, that didn't really know move and all, you know, who lived away from move and they were people that was like in city hall and politicians were saying, stay away from them. And I lived down the street from them, mind you this. I lived down the street from them, and because these other people were saying, you know, there was something wrong with move, and on, I'm looking on the corner, and I see, you know, women chopping wood, and all, you know, um, um, you know, carrying five-gallon jugs of water and 25 pounds of dog food on their back, and washing cars all day, and they had scrub boards, scrubbing clothes all day, and using a word I had never heard before in my life, and that word was revolution. And, uh, you know, I never heard that word. And, uh, you know, and I was, you know, the media was saying move was crazy, that move was filthy. And, uh, you know, and I believe that in saying something different, saying something different, I'm seeing people working. They say these people are trifling. They don't work. They're saying their children was unhealthy because I didn't know health and all uh, really at that point. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing children in the wintertime with lawn cloths in the front and the back, and they're going down the street singing, if you want to eat, get up and move your feet. And they're clapping their hands, and they're happy. They wasn't going to school. I'm already complaining about the school that my children was in at that time and pissed because these people's children wasn't in these schools. And, uh, you know, uh, my children and myself was very sickly, and uh, I didn't know what health looked like until I saw them and then I couldn't see it because they was telling me it wasn't healthy. But the truth is that John Africa say the power truth is final in a confrontation that ended in 78 when this government got moved children, they talked about the clarity. They talked about the richness of the blood. They talked about that little unit. They said when the confrontation when they arrested the parents, and I'm telling you, these children was in the house when they threw thousands of pounds of water pressure, shot 
thousands of rounds of ammunition in there and, uh, you know, terrorized and uh, tore the house down on top of them. When they got them children from out there and first thing they did, they threw them in the shower and all uh, these strange folks and all uh, who just did this to them and all uh, they screamed because they didn't want to get near the water. They said they were scared of water. They were scared of what they had just did to them with the water. But when they got them in, you know, got them in there and tried to control and manipulate them and all, they could not. They said these children would be sitting there and they'd be looking at them and they can tell that they were corresponding with each other. And uh, these people, because our children to this day, we do not believe in giving up blood. And all, you know, and these children, you know, was, it was it was born in them, you know, was rooted in them, the wrongness of that. And all, but they forced them children down, took their blood, and all they could do is in a Philadelphia Inquirer, how they bragged about the health, the strength, the clarity in the eyes, the muscles. And when you go to pick them up, and all, you would think you're picking up a mad truck because of the raw food diet that they had, and uh, they talked about the health of these children, the sanity of these children, and uh, you know, and... Can I interrupt you for a minute? I just want to, I want to make people understand all that you're saying about our children and the teaching of John Africa, that they had child psychologists talk to our kids and examine our kids, and the head psychologist made the statement that our moved children were more secure and well-balanced than her own children, and she could tell they were well-loved, well-cared for, and it just contradicted everything that the news media put out to people about our kids because they wanted to build a platform for people to accept what they were planning to do to move people and our kids. And we teach, this is Janet, we teach our children about life to have reverence, respect, and love for life. That is why our children were brought up the way they were and why they are like they are now. Uh, people complain and talk about bullying and stuff like that. But if children are raised to respect life, to see all life as the same, you wouldn't have a problem of being bullied because children would understand that to hurt life is to hurt yourself because we're all connected. And this is how we teach our children. Like when we take them outside and teach them about the grass, about the air, about the water, about the animals, how it's all connected. This is how John Africa teach us. This is how we teach our children. How, and they have respect for life. That means they have respect for all of life, not just people, but animals and trees, the water, the air, because that's how they are taught. And when you start your children with that kind of respect and reverence for the life that's still in their lungs, for the water that they drink, the food that they eat, realizing that that life comes from the same force that move believe in. That is our belief, life. And when you teach your children to respect life all the way around, not making no separations, then you won't have no bullying. You won't have no sexism. You won't have no racism because everybody will treat everybody the way that they want to be treated as being in that connection of life. That is truly unity. That is truly family. While people have to work in that direction to become that way, 
that is the family that people see and move, the consistency that the people see and move. 41 years, that is a long time. That is how much years, how many years we spent in prison innocent. We did not kill any cop. They know they shot and killed their own cop, but they framed us because they wanted to get us off the street, the same way they want to kill Delbert, the same way they want to kill our family, 85. In 1978, they wanted to shut us up. So they framed us and made it look like Move killed that cop. When we went to court, they never had any proof of Move killing a cop. So the judge sentenced us to prison 30 to 100 years, nine of us, for the death of one cop that was shot with one bullet by one gun. Now, ask yourself, how can nine people have shot one cop with one gun and one bullet? Are they saying all nine of us put our finger on the trigger at one time? Which is ridiculous. Everybody knows that Move did not kill that cop. Everybody knows that those cops, friendly fire, killed their own cop and framed us, and we got sent to jail for it because they needed it, needed an excuse to send us to prison the way they need an excuse to kill Delbert by saying he's ill while they needed one to kill our brother Phil and kill our sister Merle. Excuses, excuses, excuses. This is what they have done all the years that the MOVE organization has been above ground. MOVE will never stop fighting this system. And what we want people to understand is we know that everybody can't take the same stand and same position as MOVE does. We know that. We committed our lives to this revolution, and we will not stop. Our family sacrificed their lives for this revolution, and we will not stop. We will not allow their lives to be in vain. But we want people to understand that there is something that you can do. You can stand up. You can be there. You can be counted on to write a letter, to make a phone call, to go to a demonstration. I mean, you know, you don't have to put your life on the line. Move is not asking that. Move is just asking people to look around, see what this system has done to people. I mean, look at our brothers on the street, gang war and killing each other. Meanwhile, the cops is killing them after they done finished killing a brother. You know, wake up. See what this government is doing to you. They let guns in the neighborhood, but try to get some money and see what happens. You know how the government let guns slip through and our brothers get guns, how easy it is to buy a gun. But I bet you can't get no money as easy as you can get a gun <laughs> because this, this system loves money. But they don't love black people. And they don't love the, when we kill each other. This, this is what Jan is saying, and people need to realize, you see the extreme measures that this government goes to to stop move. And people need to ask yourself, why? Why are they doing all of this to move? What is the reason? Because move people are not criminals. We don't we haven't killed anybody. We haven't robbed anybody, raped anybody. We're not criminals. They are doing this to move because move has the truth. We have the teaching of John Africa. We have the answer because of John Africa to racism, to unity, to peace. And peop- this government don't want that. They want everybody disjointed. They want everybody hating each other. They want whites to hate blacks, blacks to hate whites, Spanish to hate blacks, and on. Because as long as people are hating each other, fighting each other, killing each other, this system is running rampant over them, taking your health, taking your 
family, principles, taking everything that you need from you and have you working to pay their way. People working all day long and paying taxes, paying politicians' salaries, paying the cops' salary, and barely have enough money for themselves. And nobody's looking at this government, looking at this system. You, so, Everybody's so busy looking at each other and hating each other because somebody got a car they couldn't get or somebody light-skinned and one's dark-skinned and somebody's white and somebody got straight hair. And this is what this government wants. And see, John Africa puts an end to that. Africa brings people together, make people love themselves, love life, and love having a family. This is the priority that John Africa teach move people, and this government did not want that for everybody. This government don't want everybody being healthy, because if everybody was healthy, the hospitals would lose business. If everybody was free of drug addiction, alcoholism, then all of their Therapy groups and state stores and all of that would run out of business, you know. That's why they criticized us when we had our babies at home and tried to say it was unhealthy and we were putting our babies in danger because if everybody was strong enough to have their babies at home, the hospital uh, maternity wards would shut down and they would lose money. And this is the reason why they come at John Africa so hard, why they dropped a bomb on us, why they trying to kill us in the prisons because move has the truth and for giving them the truth they gave us prison and people have to understand that you have to ask yourself why was moving jail for 41 years why did they drop a bomb on our family go and find out why you have to dig and find out why these things are happening because then you will find out the truth move is not criminal and we're not a threat to this community Okay, so, um, you know, uh, some of the confrontations that will happen inside the prison, because a lot of people are familiar with a lot of things that happen on the outside, and we're making them more and more familiar with that, but let's talk about some of the things that happen on the inside of the prisons, the examples that were set there, so this is like inside out. Well, well, when Move was arrested, the order, the order given was to break Move at any cost. And the minute we set foot in the prisons, we were thrown in isolation, kept secluded and isolated behind glass double doors, and we were never let out except to go to court. And as soon as we come back from court, we were locked in. When we went to the state prisons, same thing. We was processed and immediately shipped to the RHU and told we would be in RHU until our sentence was up. And our sentence was 30 to 100 years, which forced us to go on a hunger strike confrontation because we were defending our belief. We was not letting these people think that they could just persecute us at will and break us. So we went on a hunger strike confrontation. We went 45 days with no food and very little water, and they got scared, and they jumped us. Six big guards held us down, 
smashed our face into the pillow so we couldn't see what they was doing, raped us of our blood, and shot us up with some chemicals, and told the public they were letting us out in population because we complied with the health code procedures of the prison. You know, um, we while we were in there, the guards would try to come in our cells. We've had physical confrontations with guards coming in our cell, try to manhandle us. We had to physically fight these guards off of us and just fight to show them that we were strong mentally and physically and they were not going to break us. They saw that MOVE women were real serious about the position we take about revolution, and we told them if they try to come into our room, every time that they open that door, we was going to come at them. We are not going to let no men walk into our room like that. Let me tell y'all how the room was built. It was a six-by-six cell. They had me and Janine locked up. This is called isolation. The door was real thick and had a little square window wiki that you could see out of and a slot that they opened and closed that was just big enough to fit paper plates or our food through to feed us. The room had a window, and the window was... It was shaded, like you could tell if it was day or night, but you couldn't see any, you couldn't identify any specific object. So on top of the window, they had holes drilled in top of it to keep the circulation. That was our ventilation. And it was so hot in there when they had us in there that after they gave us our food, I would take a paper plate while Janine sat down and wave the air up and down so we could get some circulation and she could breathe and I can breathe. Then when I got tired of doing that, we would trade places. I would sit down, Janine would take a pl- paper plate and and uh, weave it up and down so we could get some more air circulation. But these are some of the kinds of things that these people in prison did to move. I mean, we used to fight every single day, big male guards every day. So it wasn't no thing to us when we hear about fighting (laughs) because we've been doing it ever since we've been in move. But the point is the way that they treated us in jail is the same way they treat us out of jail. They will never stop trying to stop us because they don't want us teaching people, showing people, or giving a strong example. And uh, people care about move. They do because the example that we set. When people see something that's consistent, something that's loyal, something that they see is faithful, they give respect to that. That is why MOVE has so respect, so much respect now, because people see how serious we are. They see the example we set. They see how strong we are, and people are influenced by that. So while they might not become a MOVE member, they will do things that they saw MOVE do to get the results that MOVE got. And that is what we need from people. I mean, you know, you want to have the strength. You want to have the security. It starts all with you. When we talk about revolution, talk about you have to start with you. Revolution starts with self. We can't talk about revolution or talking about who ain't doing revolution without talking about ourselves. You have to be as honest to the revolution as you expect other people to be. The words that you speak about being right, 
have to be as honest as the words that you are asking other people to be right about. Because it's a lot happening out there. People look around you. Things are not getting better. They're getting worse. Worse for our children. Worse for our mothers. Worse for our fathers. You know, we got a whole bunch of technology, yeah. But look at the air. Look at the water. Look at the soil. Is it getting better? No. We have got to start teaching our children to respect life, to respect themselves, to become aware of what's happening to them, and don't become enslaved to the system. Yeah, they got technology. They got all kinds of things out there. They make up the system, and we use those things. Use them because you need to get where you got to go, but don't become a slave to them. You know, that's what Move is saying to people. This is how they get people all locked up with all this divisiveness, all this separation. We need unity. And if we all think as one and go in one direction as John F. could teach, we will be stronger for it. We will be better for it. You can help your brother. You will help your sister. And this is what we want everybody to understand, that this is our position and what we will continue to do while we're out of prison and if we are in prison to continue this work because it needs to be done, not just in Philadelphia, not just in L.A., but all around the world. I want to let people know that um, at one point while we were in prison, our sister Alberta, Africa, was going to court for some other charges. She was on separate charges from us. And they were holding her in the city hall holding cell. And in there, there's no windows. And there's a lot of people crammed in one space. And they smoke a lot of cigarettes. And she was getting sick from it. So we tried to get the judge to make it so that she didn't have to sit in that bubble around all the smoke. And because, like always with move, they didn't care. And really, they wanted her to get sick. The judge said he was making her come to court anyway. So we were all down in Philadelphia County for Muncie with her, and we all got in her cell, and we said she was not going back to court because it was making her sick. So we all stayed in her cell, barricaded ourselves in her cell, and the guards, the sheriff, and other staff members broke into the cell and jumped us and drug us out of the cell and drug Alberta out of the cell and carried her to City Hall, trussled up like a pig on a spit. And when our brothers over Holmesburg heard about that, they, in defense of us, locked themselves in their cell and demanded to find out about our condition, our health. And when they demanded to see us, hear about, hear from us, the staff there attacked them. They attacked them with ice picks, bats, deluge hoses, kicking them, beating them, everything they could because they wanted to protect us because they were defending us. And all of our men had to go to the hospital. And when they went to the hospital, they tried to charge them with assault when they were the ones that were assaulted. So you could see the history of move has been one of police brutality from the door, and it didn't stop because we went to jail. We were fighting these cops just as hard in the prison as our family had to fight them outside the prison. 
Okay, what we're going to do right now, we're going to go to a little clipping. We're going to go to a little clipping by Kwame Ture, and we're going to tie these two particular situations together in terms of the struggle that you continue to go to and how he talk about the struggles and the contradictions that exist among African people um, during this time. So we're going to go to this little clipping by four minutes, and then um, to... Janet and Janae, we would like to come back and get your response. We can talk a little bit more about it. But let's go to this clip and then we'll everybody listen very carefully. And we also then we'll bring our panelists in for questions. So we're going to this clip and it's an interview um, by Kwame Ture. You're one black man who went to a good, essentially white high school in the city of New York. That's you right. obviously had had a good education. That's a good many of the people who work with you here in SNCC can say the same thing. And we're saying that... And you're a black man who came from a New York ghetto. And we're saying that there's a system that allows for one or two black people to get out. And that that's the rationale for keeping other black people down. And it has nothing to do with the unwillingness or inability of the Negro to help himself and to work hard. That's the rationale, that the reason why black people aren't this is because they're lazy, unambitious, stupid, have rhythm, and they eat watermelon. You call on the black man to refuse to respond to his draft call. That is correct. And we will continue to do so while there's breath in our bodies. Do you really believe that the military policies of the United States are designed to exterminate the black man, as you've said? I most certainly do. I look at the recent statement by Racist McNamara, who says that 30% of the people that are going to be drafted now under his new system are going to be black people. And that's nothing more than black urban removal. The white liberal who supported civil rights for so long with time and effort and money, what is your feeling about him? Well, I think that there's no reason why they should stop supporting the movement now. I certainly feel that if they're genuinely interested in black people, and since black people have charted a course, they believe in that program, they will continue to give to it. They need more white people to civilize whites. They need them to civilize the savages in Cicero who throw rocks and bricks at a peaceful and lovable black man like Dr. Martin Luther King, who would not even hurt a fly. Well, that's very important, because our uncles and our fathers and our older brothers died in World War I fighting Nazism to protect the Poles, and those same Poles turn around and throw rocks and bricks at us after we died to save their lives. And people talk about we are savages. Mr. Carmichael, if you had the chance to stand up in front of the white community and say anything you desired, say to him, understand me, white man, what would you say? I would say, understand yourself, white man, that the white man's burden should not have been preached in Africa, but it should have been preached among you that you need now to civilize yourself. You have moved to destroy and disrupt. You have taken people away. You have broken down their systems. And you have called all that civilization. And we who have suffered at this are now saying to you, you are the killers of the dreams. You are the savages. Yes, it is you who have always been un civilized. 
civilize yourself. Okay, you just listened to the clip in my interview with Brother Kwame Ture, former known as Stokely Carmichael, and he too was speaking to this whole narrative of how African people have always resisted against the system. Right now we have with our special guests, Sister Pam, Jan, and Janine Africa, sharing their stories and their struggles. Sister Pam, I'll start with you first when you listen to that. One of the things I'd like for you to speak to, and Janine and Janet also speak to is, when we talk about the, 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 the struggle of the move or the move movement, are you also talking about the struggle of humanity in general? I think a lot of people might see you or the movement move in separation for the movement for the liberation of all human beings. Your response to that, Sister Pam? You know, um, our response to that is, you know, is the work that we do. When you're talking about cleaning up the air, the water, the soil, you're talking about dealing with stuff for all human beings. When Move is in the prison, those stands that my sisters and took, dealing with the wiki and the men coming in there, and you know, that wasn't just done for my sisters. It was done for everybody. And you know, when we deal with issues inside the prison and outside the prison, it is for everyone every being, and all, you know, because, like you said, these things was brought over here, and all, you know, um, uh, that was caused by this government, and all, you know, it was caused by the white man, for real, I mean, you know, it was, it was absolutely caused by them, and all, they're the ones who go, this government, the um, corporate America is the one that go from Every country that there is, every war that there is, they turn people, you know, against each other. And, uh, you know, uh, wherever there's any peace and harmony, and, uh, you know, uh, wherever they go at, they cause mass destruction. And uh, um, if they go into the sea and, uh, you know, they go in there and destroy every, who want to go down to the bottom of the sea and, you know, just collect and, you know, destroy life and uh, manipulate, you know, the food change, uh, you know, you know, who does that but them? And uh, my sister Janet and Janine, you know, they could, uh, we were taking turns. Well. I, and I, I just want to say and all that, you know, as a MOVE member, I'm one of the, you know, younger MOVE members, and also, you know, I still take my cue, and, you know, um, you know, so I might not say something completely right, but I got my sisters there to back me up. And all uh, my fighting and my commitment is good. And all, uh, but sometimes we have to balance each other. So, you know, if um, I'm saying something out of the way, and all uh, my sisters will clear that up. Okay, thanks. Well, see, this is what John Africa teach us: that all of life is the same, and that is the point that's being made here that racism exists. There's no point in trying to act like it doesn't. And because of the violent past between whites and blacks, it's hard for blacks to trust whites and to forget about all of the violence and the raping and everything that was done to them. Yes, it was done to them and it was horrible. But the thing that John Africa teaches is that you got to heal and come together and work together because if 
you say white people are racist and all you concentrate on is making the the lives of black people better, then that racism is still there. That sickness is still there. So you have to work to get rid of that sickness. Everybody has to work because the sick, the racism, the uh, violence, the persecution, the disrespect for life is a disease. Jonathan says it's like a cancer. And you have to cut that cancer out in order for the body, the whole body to heal. So in order to do that, you have to get rid of that mentality. And in order to get rid of the mentality that causes racism, you have to work together. It can't just be a movement for black people or a movement for white people. Everybody got to work together to heal, to do what's right. Because if one race is still wrong, then that sickness is going to start all over again and keep spreading. So you have to cut that sickness out. And it's got to be a starting point somewhere. It's got to be. You can't just sit there and just constantly hate each other. Because if you constantly hate each other and keep hanging on to that past and fueling that hate, when will it end? When will it end? And in the meantime, while everybody's hating each other, whites hating blacks for no reason, and blacks hating white even though they do have a reason for it, it's never going to get better. And while this is going on, everybody's suffering from it because the mentality that caused whites to hate blacks is the same mentality that causes this system to pollute the water, to pollute the air for money, to make the soil so weak and poisoned that your food is no good anymore. So we've got to come together so that everything can be corrected. You have to get that respect there from both sides because black is no different than white, white no different than black. And once people understand that, then there won't be no hate. I'm no different than the white woman that lives in suburbia. There's nothing no different. My blood is red just like hers. You know, I have to eat just like she do. I got to go to sleep, you know, raise my kids just like she do. And that's what people have to understand. There is no difference between the races. We just have skin, different skin colors because of the climate that we lived in. That's the only difference. It's no different than a tiger having stripes and a leopard having spots. There is no difference, and people have to understand that. You got to let it go. When are you going to let it go? And I know we're not saying it's easy. Believe me, we know it's not because black people have suffered a long time under the hands of white people. You know, they've been made to feel inferior. You know, what they brought us people over here on boats, stuffed them in like sardines. When they died on the boats, they threw them in the war. You know, I mean, we it's horrible, horrible. And move, we know that it's not easy. Impossible. I mean, when you think about the rape, the beating, what they did, all the miscegenation, you know, I mean, it's hard. And we're not saying people, you know, it's just something easy to do. But we are saying this is something that has to be done if this world wants to come together. I'm not telling people to bow down and kiss nobody's behind. I'm just saying people understand if you're talking about freedom, 
you're talking about freedom for all because it's impossible for black people to be free and white people not be to be enslaving. You can't have freedom just with one race. Everybody's got to be free in order to have freedom. All life has got to be free from the dictates of this system. And this system has done a whole lot to people, a whole lot to life that people can't see their way out of it. You know, and I'm not saying to you people that have been through a lot of that stuff, because I've been through a lot of that myself. And through the teaching of John Africa, I have gotten much better with that. Because I lived around white people all my life where there was only a few black people, and I caught the brunt of a whole lot of racism, you know. And what brought me, that got me better with that was the teaching of John Africa that made me realize that all life is the same and I have to work to get there. I'm still doing that work. But, see, the thing is, as long as people realize the work that has to be done for revolution, for true freedom, then that is the work that they have to do. We can't force them to do nothing. You know, a lot of people haven't felt what another person has felt because they haven't suffered from the brutality of racism, had their family shot by cops. It's a lot. They hate cops. They will probably hate cops for the rest of their life. But what we're saying to people is understand, you understand, take this in for yourself and realize the revolution of yourself. If you want peace, if you want freedom, it's there for you. It's there for all of us. But the work has to be done individually by everybody. You know, like we're standing up front. We're the vanguard. Yeah, we'll take the beating. We'll take the jailings. You know, we'll stand up and protest and demonstrate like we've been doing for years. But people, everybody has got to do some kind of work, that, that mind work, to realize what it takes to be free. You know, it just don't take a bunch of words, you know, calling somebody a nasty name. It don't take that. It takes your mind becoming strong and learned about what you have to do to truly be free, what freedom truly is. This is not no game we're playing. This is not no word game either. Freedom will not exist, like I said, if you have one form of life that's seemingly free and the other form of life is enslaved because in order for true freedom to exist all life must be free and this is the work john africa is teaching move while we're spreading this word around to people that if you want to be free it's there for you but you got to do the work i mean like i said you can't just stand there and call names you know i mean even if people have done something to you Straighten that person out. Give them wisdom. Teach them what they, they got to do to be right, to help us be free. You know, and people, I mean, you know, take your time. It don't happen overnight. But just remember, when you're pointing the finger at somebody else, duh, 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 that finger must be always brought back to yourself and recognized about the work you're doing to correct that situation, because while you're pointing that finger at somebody else, make sure you're giving them information so they can be right and you can be right too. Because, you know, all people are talking about is equality. People want to be equal. That's all the problem. That's the problem here. You want to be equal. And that's what people have to work for, that equality. And that's what will make everybody start feeling satisfied 
and make people start coming together. When you start looking at people, you get that equality because right now that's what it is. It's no equality, and because it is none, people are complaining, and rightly so. But it takes work to get that equality, you know, and that's what people have to work forward to. That's what MOVE does. There is, MOVE don't have no racism and prejudice in this organization. We see everybody as equal, and we treat people based on the way they treat us because there is only one race, and that's life. All is connected, and all is important in this system, this body of life. And when you look at everything like that, then you won't see no difference in color, in gender, in religion, nothing like that. So that's what people got to understand. It's got to start as a unit, which means all of life. You can't look at a white person and see a black person as inferior or feel like a black person is superior, but a dog is inferior or the water is nothing, the air is nothing. It's got to all be the same. You got to look at everybody the same. All right, this one in time, Shannon, uh, Janae, and Pam, we're going to bring in our political panelists. They may have some questions or comments. We'll turn the mic now over to Brother Haki. Brother Haki, the mic is yours. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Brother Africa. Listen, uh, I, I enjoy sisters, you know, in terms of the things they have to say. But let me just diverge a bit here. And, you know, you know, philosophically, you know, when you talk about the importance in terms of people getting together, philosophically I can agree with that. But, you know, the problem comes when it comes down to theory and strategy. Uh, one of the things, recently I was at a, a meeting with a lot of white, a lot of white progressives, at least they said they're progressive, and we were talking about terms of intimacies in terms of how the system works. Well, a lot of the uh, white liberals, progressives, didn't want to deal with that. So my position was that, well, since you don't want to deal with it, then are you seriously telling me that you're really con- concerned about in terms of the uh, overall condition of humanity if you're not willing to understand those obstacles which gets in the way in terms of creating a better world? So my point is this, you know, you know the problem is that, you know, I'm not going to try in terms of spending all my energy in terms of trying to get white folks to understand the absurdity of the positions that they take. You know, racism aside, I'm not going to spend my time trying to get them to understand, you know, how they benefit. They know they benefit. And because mm-hmm. they know they benefit, their perception in terms of the world is quite different from my perception as an African man, you're going up mm-hmm. in society. So my focus has to be on African people. I'm fine with, with aggressive white folks who are committed. I mean, Kathy Bodine, and you got uh, Gilbert, Gilbert um, you got quite a few progressive, you know, really revolutionary white folks who are committed to the idea in terms of, you know, one world, one just world. And I'm fine with that. But I'm not going to spend my whole lot of time in terms of trying to get white folks who, in their position, and at least in their, in their estimation, benefit from the system of capitalism and, and see our oppression to, as their benefit. So I understand that philosophically, you know, strategically, I have to understand. I have to take that consideration in terms of trying to navigate my way through the system. So my so my question to the systems is that, you know, given that backdrop, given that reality in terms of different perceptions in terms of the system, you know, what realistic do you expect me to achieve in terms of trying to actually interact with white folks who are, quote, unquote, conservative and or pro-system because they benefit from it? Well, you know, what it is is you, first of all, you can't force yourself on nobody. You do have to do what you feel is necessary 
to protect yourself, to help your fellow people, that's understandable because this this system of oppression and racism has been around a long time, a very long time, and it's going to take a long time to break it down. It's not going to go nowhere overnight. But the thing is, is what what John Africa teaches, and it's not like go out there and just hug a white person and they'll understand. The thing is, is that when you're doing what you have to do to get the things that you want, you just have to keep in mind also that you have to start learning how to interact with white if you can and show them an example that will teach them that, like, you know, black, there's no nothing wrong with black people. We're not uh, animals hanging out of a tree like they've been raised to think. There's just a work there, a balance there. Like a good example, when we first got locked up in prison, because of all the lies that they put out in the media about us, other inmates, black inmates, treated us like we were some crazy, violent cultists. And they wanted to fight us. They wanted to fight us because they believed everything the news media told them about how we mistreat our kids and all kinds of stuff. And we had to work hard with these women by setting examples, giving them information about our beliefs, and setting, showing them through our example that we were not like the news media said we was. And by them watching how we were, we were consistent, we were honest, we were hardworking, we were good, loyal people. They start seeing that, and it was that example in us that start breaking down their prejudices and made them start wanting to communicate with us and understand us. And this was the same thing that happened with the white inmates in there because the cops was telling the white inmates that were being brought into the county jail to stay away from move because we hate white people and we're going to beat up white people and all of this. They were scared to death of us, but they sat back and they watched us and they watched our example. And when they saw how we were, they felt comfortable enough to come over and finally ask us questions about how we felt about white people because what they were told by the sheriffs and how they, you know, just wanted to know how we felt. And when we start giving them the explanation, the teaching of John Africa, they started seeing that, no, we're not racist, and they didn't have to worry about us trying to hurt them. And it was that example, them being around that example, that made them start respecting us. And they didn't treat us like they did at first. And when we finally left out the prison system completely after 41 years, we had inmates and guards alike saying how, they respect move. We deserve to be released. We shouldn't have been in jail and that we were good people. But see, we had to do that work for all them years, showing these people what move is about and that we were a trustworthy, hardworking, perfect group of people. We had to do that work. It, it's not one no overnight thing. These people, we came to jail, these people, like I said, black and white alike, hated us, hated us out of prejudice, not because we did anything, but because of what the news media said. We had to do that work. And it's the same way on a large scale. It's going to be the same way on a large scale, you know, 
it's just that blacks is just going to have to keep doing what they're doing, but they're going to have to set that example and fight for their rights, for that equality. We, you know, we, we know it's going to be a hard thing, and we're not telling people, like, you know, it's going to be a love fest, love thy brother, and everything's going to be all right. No, it's not that way. You know, we had 41 years of a hard struggle. And, you know, blacks is talking about a 300-year hard struggle. So it's going to be hard, but it's got to be done. But And it's not just the shoe on the black person's foot. It's, this goes to the white people, too. They've got a lot of work to do to make black people trust them from what their history is. And they've got a lot of work to do on themselves to start fighting and eating away at that prejudice that's been instilled in them from little babies. You know, it's, it's not no easy thing. And it's very understandable how you feel. Like, you know, why should you have to keep going to them, trying to convince them about black people being good? You know, you don't have to. All you have to do is just set that example. You know, I've seen uh, throughout history, you know, when you see uh, black athletes, especially back in the day when uh, there was a whole bunch of racism, still is, a whole bunch of racism going on, but like Bay, uh, what's that? Uh, Robinson, the baseball player, yeah, no. and other other blacks that people right. saw as heroes. You that's know, little right. white kids, right? That's right. Little white kids was going and getting shoe polish, trying to make their skin black because they wanted to be like him. And I'm saying that to say, set an example, and color won't matter. You see, what I'm saying because when you see examples like that. People want to be influenced like Jackie Robinson was influencing people when it came to baseball. And little white kids who was taught racism still wanted to have their skin the same color as his because they felt like that would make him a good baseball player. And what I'm saying is if you set that example of being a strong black man, you know, you don't have to use many words because example is worth a thousand words. Set that example, and those people that are afraid to talk about racism, you know, because of that stigma that's put on black people, you have a lot of those um, liberal whites and, of course, conservative whites that don't even want to touch the subject because they don't know how. They don't know how to deal with it. They think somebody's going to get, a black person's going to get mad when they say how they really feel about, about black people. And that has a lot of the problem continuing to go on. It's like a vicious cycle, just vicious. Blacks against whites, whites against black. They, black person say something about white people, white people get mad. White people say something about black people, black people get mad. And it just goes round and round and round. But it has to stop somewhere. And I understand how you feel. And the way you sound is like you are making an effort to set that example. And that's all that's needed. That's all that's really needed. If they don't want to listen, if they don't want to talk, that is on them. When they see the example of a strong brother like yourself, then that is going to be what moves them. You know, it's going to be baby steps. It's just like termites coming through a piece of wood. When the termites are coming through that wood, you can't see them until they come through. But keep doing that work like you're doing. You know, keep setting that example like you're setting, and you will see the result of it, just like we did. Back in the day when people was, like Janine and Pam were saying, when people were saying all these things about us, when we was doing certain things, you know, they didn't understand. And now, because of the example that was set, they see, oh, that's why y'all did that. That was really mean. You know, that was really, dang, y'all was 
but they didn't understand it. Just like white people don't understand blacks, they really don't. You, you, you know how common it is to, for man-to-man talk. Like, and you feel like a man can understand what you're saying while there's a woman in that conversation that will never understand it because she's not a man. That is how white people really are about black people. They don't really understand. I don't care if they lived around them or whatever. They have to be shown that understanding. They have to be shown an example. And, you know, don't worry about it. Don't put no pressure on yourself. As long as you keep doing what you're doing and being a strong brother like you are, it's going to come to fruition one way or the other. They're going to show that they are racist or they're going to, you know, come around and understand what you're saying and start talking or whatever it takes to make the situation better. But you are making an effort, and that's all Move is saying. People have got to make that effort. Any other response to the question, Brother Haki? Yeah, just a just an unrelated question, and that is the question of the role of of, of um, self defense. Uh, there are those who take the position that um, you know the struggle should simply be nonviolent, and uh, you know the problem I have with that is anytime you talk about you know a struggle being nonviolent as a strategy, uh, it sort of boxes you in in terms of your ability to make moves. Uh, tactically, it seems to me you know that. Um, there are times in which you have to defend yourself. Stop in the question in terms of your autonomy or self-determination. But just in terms of achieving an objective, sometimes you have to defend yourself in terms of moving forward. So I want to know what is your position in terms of um, self-defense or, or violence as it relates to, to the struggle? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, we're not going to let nobody just come and attack us and beat us up and kill us. We're going to defend ourselves. And that's what happened on May 20th, 1977, because for uh, over a year, two years, that's what those cops were doing to us because we were demonstrating against crooked politicians and police brutality and uh, all of the things that was being done in the industries that was hurting the community. They sent cops on us, and those cops were jumping us beating us, hurting our kids, killing our kids. And we said, we are not taking it no more. We're going to defend ourselves. And that's why we took that armed stand on our platform in May 20th, 77, because we told them, if you come at us with fists, we'll come back with fists. If you come at us with sticks, we'll come back with sticks. If you come at us with guns, we're coming back with guns. Because we have just as much right to defend ourselves as anybody else. And that was the only reason that those cops had that one-year standoff with us. They didn't attack us like they was doing before because they felt like we had equal defense. They saw those guns and they felt like, oh, they got guns just like us, so we're not going to just jump on them and beat them no more. That's why they sat in front of our house for a year, you know, we will defend ourselves. There's nothing wrong with defending yourself because if I'm going to sit there and somebody's going to try to strangle me and I'm going to be like, I'm, I'm not going to fight because I'm nonviolent, that is going against the law of God. That self-defense is a God-given right. And so for anybody to stand there and just let somebody hurt them, they are encouraging violence. You know, when a bully keeps 
beating you up and you don't defend yourself, you're encouraging that bully to hurt you. And you've got to defend yourself. You've got to make, you know, let them know. I have a right to be, to defend myself. And that moves position. We don't start problems. We don't go out looking to start trouble. But if you bring trouble to us, we will defend ourselves against it. You know, when people go into the Army, they're applauded as being heroes defending this country. When a person, a non-military, non-official person, stand up to defend their rights, this government say we have no defense, we have no right, no defense of nothing. We're just being out there being troublemakers. But that's not true because we're fighting for our lives. We're fighting for what's right, and we have that right. We have that right. So people don't get confused. Move or not, we're not the turn the other cheek kind of people. We just don't start trouble. We don't endorse violence, but we will defend ourselves. Okay, let's move on to the next analyst, Brother Anthony. The mic is yours. Okay, certainly. Um, this question is directed uh, to, uh, to, to all, the, uh, all the sisters representing MOVE tonight. Um, a question for those people that might not be familiar with the history of MOVE, uh, who are some of who are some of the individuals and organizations that influenced uh, John Africa uh, in his uh, philosophical views? This John. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, John Africa and uh, and and moves philosophy uh, in general. We'll say this: John Africa is influenced by. God, and that's that. What I can say, you know, this, this teaching of John Africa is like nothing else that I ever heard in my life. You know, what was what we're taught to respect life. Nobody else was saying that. Nobody else gave life any consideration, and to realize that all life is connected as one. One body, nobody is talking about that, you know, and that's the teaching of John Africa. John Africa is God-wise, and that's where our belief comes from. And, you you know, if you listen to Move Law or hear John Africa's teaching, you, you can feel that principle. You can feel it touches the instinct in you. We all have instincts. That was given to us by nature, by God. And that instinct was abused by this system, and we became calloused to that instinct. But when you hear John Africa's teaching, it touches deep down in you, that instinct in you. Because I remember when I first came around MOVE, and I heard John Africa's teaching, it was reading from John Africa's guidelines, it's like you know, you feel that it's right. You know when you hear something that's right, and it touched. It did. It, it touched 
that, I mean, I didn't know this at the time that this was happening to me, but it touched the instinct in me and brought that feeling, that secure, safe, protective feeling out in me. I mean, I couldn't understand it. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it was something I had never felt or never heard before. And then it was explained to me by our coordinator why I was feeling like I was, because when you hear the truth, it touches an instinct in you that has been covered up by the system and it makes it, it pulls you, it compels you to want to listen and do what the principle says for you to do. That's what moved move people to the position that we are now and the way we feel and the why the why we listened in the early days really when we didn't even know we didn't even understand ourselves. But because that feeling that we got when we heard John Africa's teaching and it compelled us to listen and to do what was being asked of us to do that is now shown in the things like the example of move. It just crystallized the power. It crystallized the force behind John Africa's teaching, behind John Africa's belief. And this is something that we will never give up. Because we've been out in the system. We've been calloused by the system. We've been system taught. We've been soft system beat. We've been system hurt. We've been system everything. Why would we give up something that touches us, that moves us to a direction that wants to be right, to heal the world so the world can be right? I would never want to give that up for something that this system gave me. And this system didn't give me nothing but a bunch of problems, insecurity, and everything else that, you know, that causes a whole bunch of sadness. And John Africa made me feel that way. And it's hard to explain to you in words about how, you know, move people came to be the way that we are. But if you look at our example and you look at the way we were before we came in move and hearing John Africa's teaching, following those dictates of John Africa and see us now, it, it, it's got to register. It's got to register somehow on that scale of people's minds about how we are and why we are like that. Because when you look at an example, you got to see, well, what, what caused them to be like that and what caused us to be the way we are, committed the way we are, able to spend 41 years in an abusive hole of dungeon of torture, you know, and still be strong, still be loyal, still telling people what they need to work to do so they don't become slaves to this system is the work that we committed ourselves to because of that belief, that teaching of John Africa. Um, you asked what, who influenced John Africa is the other way around. You know, when Move first came on the scene, the things that John Africa taught us that had us doing, you know, people laughed at us when we demonstrated against the zoos, against the puppy mm-hmm. mills, against uh, Three Mile Island, against things that was threatening the air and water and everything, the water. People laughed at us, but now people said that John Africa influenced the animal rights movement, the environmentalist movement, the women's right movement, all of these things. And they were saying that they understand now and that 
they're trying to catch up with John Africa. We've got people from different activist groups saying that John Africa was ahead of his time and that the things that they saw as ridiculous, now they see the importance of that John Africa had us doing because had people listened to John Africa over 40 years ago, the environment wouldn't be in the trouble that it's in. There would be animals that were extinct that would still be here. You know, the polar cats wouldn't be melting, threatening the lives of the polar bears. All of these things. Now, we have these people from all these different groups saying how John Africa influenced these different movements. Any other follow-up or question, Brother Anthony? Uh, y- yes. Um, the, uh, based upon your experiences, were, uh, were, were, were the... Uh, were were y'all persecuted uh, uh, worse than than the men were, or was it fairly similar in both cases? And if and if not, what were the differences in terms of uh, uh, the way you were treated in prison? The the thing is is. Everybody see men as strong in revolution, you know, but nobody sees women as strong. And so they felt like they could break us over the men. So a lot of things was done to move women that weren't done to our men because they thought that once they had us in those prisons by ourselves, they could beat us down and make us give up our belief. So... You know, we had to go through different things that the men didn't have to go through because the system is just taught that we're no weak and that they could break us. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. They hate movement, and they tried to do everything they could to kill movement, to cripple movement, but they did do things to us that they didn't do to our men because they thought that it was possible to break us. You know, and we went through different things that our men had to uh, take stands to defend us against. But, yeah, we went through a lot of different things behind being women in the revolution. And it's that way through history, you know. They always do do things to try to degrade and break women that they see as following men in this struggle. Okay, let's go to our next political um, panelist, Brother Moses. Brother Moses, the mic is yours. Thank you, thank you. And greetings to the sisters from uh, Pan-Africa and uh, the sisters. Um, I'm interested in in the fact that you all are last name Africa and uh, is this part of the Pan-African movement or are and uh, how you see yourselves in terms of the United States government and the, the land, the land uh, in North America, and uh, where you see yourself in terms of the revolution, in terms of uh, is there equity, sweat equity in the U.S. U.S.A. or are we still um, divorcing ourselves from the U.S.A. and going back to Africa? Uh, that's the key question. Well, we all call ourselves Africa, 
out of respect for our founder, John Africa. You know, and John Africa teach the problems of this country is the same in every country. So, you know, we're not trying to go back to Africa. We're working to make things right here in this country because the governments are really the same everywhere you go. You know, in fact, if you go, if a black person go over to Africa, the, those black Africans don't see black people in America the same as them. So it's a thing where we're not working to go back to Africa. We are working to make things equal wherever because it's going to, if you don't have equality here, you're not going to have it anywhere. So you have to do that work here because it won't be no different if you go to Africa. Them people over Africa, they're not uh, having no equality. They're having problems over there, too. You know, so you got to do the work here. We got to fight and make that, make our presence known and get that equality here. Here, it's no going back to Africa. It's equality, period. Fighting for what's right, no matter where you are. You know, and, you know, we... We know we have to use money and do things to get money to survive, but we don't look up to money. That's not what we see as, like, the important thing. Like, we have to have money. We have to have a certain position. We don't move people. Don't go to that. Move people. Do what we got to do to survive, take care of our kids, take care of the animals, take care of ourselves. And that's what we do. We work to live. Brother Moses, another follow-up question or a comment? Brother Moses? Okay, what we're going to do right now, Sister Pam, I'd like to bring you back into the discussion. And one of the things I'd like to ask the other two sisters, Janet and Janine, I noticed when, if I'm not mistaken, when Sister when Debbie uh, Alfred got out of jail, she had certain restrictions on what she couldn't do. One of the restrictions was she was not able to be able to come back to Philadelphia. Do y'all have any restrictions that y'all can't do uh, as a result of being let out of prison? Uh, no, when we came out of prison... We didn't have any restrictions put on us. We didn't have any curfews or anything. We could see our family. Go. The only thing that we had to do if we wanted to go outside of Philadelphia, we had to get permission to do that. We've been um, asked to speak at different engagements, like in New York, uh, about a dozen times since we've been home. And in order for us to do that, we have to get permission from our parole officer to go there. But we haven't had any problem with that so far. Now, what was the rationale for the restriction on your sister Debbie for not being able to come back into Philadelphia? What was that all about? Well, I can't even tell you about what that was about because I haven't spoken with her since she got out of jail a year and three months ago at all. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in order to find out that, you have to ask her because there has been no contact with her. Are you allowed to contact with other family members? Are there any limitations? Yes. 
with that? Yes, we are, we are allowed to we have contact with our other family members, and we do all the time. And I'm telling you, if it wasn't for our family, the, the activity, that prison activity that we was on for 41 years would have been harder, you know, would have been uh, a lot more to bear. But every time we needed anything, our family was always there, always there for us. And that, you know, if you – if you're familiar with people that have been in prison or know anybody that's been in prison, it's a hard thing to uh, keep communicating, getting phone calls from that person, sending money every week or coming to visit. But our family never wavered for their loyalty and commitment to us, not one year, not one month, not one minute. If we needed them, they was there. When we didn't need them, they was there. And we have so much love for our family. That's the kind of commitment that we're telling y'all about that John Africa has given us the kind of love. I mean, you know, we're people that don't have the same parents. Our connection to each other is our belief in John Africa and the commitment that we have shown to each other as sisters and brothers is so strong. I mean, it carried us through so much when we was in prison and, uh, they dropped that bomb and murdered our family on May 13th. It was our family, the togetherness that we had that kept us above water and able to pull ourselves through that with our, like we have a well of strength that's so deep that times when there are circumstances that are unbearable, we just can let that bucket down in that well and dip that water and bring it up and drink from it and become so strong and so healthy that it just makes us want to fight harder. You know, this is something that people, I hope, I really hope that people can understand and realize what we're saying. I mean, you know, you can tell it in our voices. You can see it in our faces. You know, just the examples that that move setting down the things that we're doing that this is something serious that people can see. Where is it coming from? How can you do it? It's our belief in the teaching of John Africa, y'all, that has given us this strength, given us the ability to help teach other people to be strong so they can keep themselves free, so they can be part of this family. You know, everybody needs this. Everybody, every everything breathing needs the teaching of John Africa to make this world better. Okay, to my political panelists, analysts, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with our sisters before we have our final thoughts for tonight? Brother Hakeem? No, I just want to tell the sisters, uh, you enjoyed the uh, discussion. I learned a great deal. And I commend them for the strength and the courage and their commitment, you know, to justice and to honesty. Uh, it's refreshing. And I wish them much success in their ongoing endeavors. And, you know, I just want to close with that. Okay, Brother Anthony, any final thoughts or response you'd like to share with the sisters? Yes, I want to thank you for for taking the time uh, to be on this program. And and I admire your, your perseverance and commitment to the struggle for uh, African liberation and uh, wish you, uh, you know, success in uh, getting uh, the, uh, uh, all of the MOVE members out of uh, prison. 
And Brother Moses, any thoughts or final comments you'd like to share with us? Well, I, I, I thank I thank you for Allah being on the, being on tonight. Uh, it's been very educational, and I, I think you should keep up the struggle. I know your your faith is strong, and uh, and I've, I've noticed that over the years, Pan Africa has, has sort of um, toned down her her her. She used to, used to, used to hear her say motherfucker and all, all kinds of things. <laughs> oh, I still do as long uh, as the motherfuckers I exist. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. She's better. And I keep up the good work. Thank you. <laughs> Yo, we want Pam oh, Africa for president. <laughs> we want Pam Africa for president. We're going to go for Pam for Africa president. for president. <laughs> <laughs> I would oh, really like for my sisters to give those numbers out again because it is so very important. Hey, um, Sister Pam, you know, we're going to give her a chance to do that. We're going to give her a chance oh, to do okay. that and more on you. Let's do this right now. We're going to take a station okay. break, and when we come back, you give us a time for finding thoughts to reach out on numbers and everything, okay? So you're listening All to right. Africa on the Move. Uh, we are dealing with part two, sharing our victories and our struggles, and clearly tonight, we had we have with us Sister Janet and Janae with the Move family. They share their struggles with the listening audience with the world. So we're gonna take a break, station break, and when they come back, they're gonna share some of their final thoughts. So we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move.
about you. We welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. Tonight we deal with part two, sharing our victories and our struggles. We're speaking with Sister Pam, Jeanette, and Janine. They are members of the Moon family. They're sharing their history on their struggles as it relates to fight for freedom, justice, and equality for all mankind. We welcome you back. In our final closing thoughts, we'd like to hear from Sister Pam in terms of some of her final comments and what, some of the things she would like for the listening audience to remember the most as it relates to the ongoing struggle dealing with the family members who move. Sister Pam, your final All right, first I want to thank, you know, Africa on the move and for always being there on a moment's notice and all the involvement um, that y'all have had, you know, throughout the years. We go way, 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 way back. And, uh, um, but, you know, I think the most important thing right now is we're trying to deal with, you know, what's happening with our brother Delbert, you know, in the uh, prisons right now. We don't know what's happening to him. And, uh, um, you know, that's one of our, you know, our demands. And, you know, Janet and Janine have those numbers. And, again, thank you. Looking forward to the next time. Hey, real quickly. Real quick before we get to Janice and uh, Janine, Sister Pam, what's also what's the status of the Mumia? Last time we heard you on the show, I know you had possible maybe um, coming up a court case to deal with that issue. What's the present status of his health? Uh, we were talking about possibly maybe losing his sight. What's going on with that? Right. Um, I just talked with Mumia today, and he told me that the doctors had gave them gave him some medication that had steroids in it for his eyes. That's when he started going blind. He said now that he hadn't, he still need the two operations. He need the cataract operation and he need the glaucoma operation. And uh, but um, his sight is coming back. And you know we demanding that Mumia and all uh, you know um, you know Delbert and all uh, be released and all uh, due to judicial and prosecutorial misconduct. The DA here. That's what he's doing. He allowed a lot, you know, um, you know, other people out, and they should have been out. But the same thing with, you know, um, Delbert and, uh, you know, with all our MOVE members. And, uh, and you know what? Drop them damn charges. You know, my people don't belong on parole. They're doing the end of 30 to 100. And, uh, well, 40 to 100, 41 to 100, you know, they're on parole up to 100 years. And uh, they're absolutely innocent as soon as the rest of our people get out of jail. And uh, that's our priority. And our priority is most definitely, you know, Mumia as well. And um, I'd like to say real quick, my brother Jamil Alameen, and, uh, you know, they just turned down his um, appeal, you know, as well. And, you know, we've been working with people and, uh, you know, bringing that case, you know, to light. Okay, thank you very much. Now let's go to Sister Janet. Give us your final thoughts. What would you like to say to our listening audience and listening world? Okay, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for having us on your show. And uh, the people, I'd like to give you those numbers, names and numbers again for the support of supporting Delbert, who's in the hospital now and this prison is trying to murder the superintendent ransom five seven oh six seven five 
1101 extension 351. And they're holding Dover at Geisinger, Geisinger Hospital. And that number is 507-808-3100. Everybody, we are asking for your help and support for Delbert, for Mumia, and all political prisoners. Thank you for having us. Thank you for all the support you people have given us through the years and right now. And stay strong, on the move, and long live John Africa. Um, in case you need to know, Delbert institution number is AM4985. And all I can say is it's because of the power of the people that I'm sitting here talking on this radio show today when the uh, city officials and government told us we would never get out of prison. And we want people to use that same power to put that pressure on these officials to make sure that Delbert is as safe as can be and that we can get him back to health. So the power is in the people. Long live the people. And as John Africa say, the power of truth is final. Long live John Africa. On a more people And for people who may want to write y'all to their communities, to their cities, how could they contact um, contact you? Any minimal move that may like to bring the cities? Um, well, they can contact us at 387-4107. Area code 215. 215 or 610-704-4524. All right. Our sisters, we'd like to thank y'all for your contribution to your people daily struggles. We'd like to thank y'all for being a good example of resistance. And we'd like to thank y'all just for being y'all. We know that um, truth crashed through the ground, eventually rise back up to the top. Y'all are a good example. Keep your heads up, keep struggling, and victory is certain. So we'd like to thank you for your contribution to today's program. We thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Okay, and moving forward, in terms of closing out, we ask our political panelists and analysts to give us their, some announcements and some of their final thoughts for tonight. We start with Brother Moses. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Moses. Yes, it's been a great show. Um, I think um, the just struggles of the people naturally support one another. So the environmentalists, the feminists, all, all the movements uh, are one in, in seeking justice and, and are bound to culminate in a revolution that that's, answers the problems of racism and xenophobia, sexism, et cetera. And uh, saying that, have a good night. Thank you. Thank you. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for the night. Uh, today, more than ever, we need to, uh, all African people need to join an organization that is working for our people's liberation. Uh, we need Pan-Africanism. 
uh, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism to bring about our freedom worldwide. To learn more about Pan-Africanism and the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, please visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. Brother Haki, your final thoughts and announcements for tonight. Yeah, a couple of things. First, African Women Association been a solidarity tour to Cuba. Trip takes place, takes place October 31st, November 6th. And for more information, please call us 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435 or email us at African Awareness Association, or one word, number two, at gmail.com. We encourage people to go to Cuba and see for themselves what Cuba is really all about. Um, my final statement for tonight, Brother Africa, is that, you know, one of the things is that when you look at the, the overall condition of the society, when we look at it in terms of deterioration in terms of the economy, deterioration in terms of the ecology, uh, deterioration in terms of relationships between human beings, all of it suggests that uh, there's real trouble ahead. And it seems to me that as a people, uh, as an oppressed people, that we've got to get about the business in terms of understanding the reality of the situation we find ourselves confronted with. Because if we don't start thinking more deeply, if we don't start thinking more outside of the box, and I'm afraid that we're going to be in big, big trouble. And that is my biggest concern. So I encourage people, you know, please, you know, to get about the business in terms of studying and understanding precisely what's going on and engage in discourse with other people who you disagree with to sharpen your understanding in terms of what's going on in the world because it's so, so critical at this point in history. And having said that, Brother Africa, as always, I encourage people to unravel the matrix. And uh, we'll see you next week. And to my co-host tonight who's still with us, Sister Pam, we're going to let you give the final words for tonight. Your final thoughts, Sister Pam. Right. My final um, thoughts is we've got to remain consistent and persistent. A lot of times people lose because they give up. And, uh, you know, when if they come to a meeting, it's five or ten people, and uh, instead of, you know, going ahead and doing things with that five or ten, like it's 5,000 in the room, and going to the you know the next thing, so that when people come back, you're you know you're steady moving ahead, being consistent with what it is that you got to do, and uh, um, so I think it's one movement, one love, long live you know revolution, long live John Africa, long live Africa on the move. May you forever be here for us. All right, we thank you, sister. We thank our guests. We thank our panelists. For their contribution to today's program, we'd like to remind you that, remember, Africa on the Move is a weekly radio program that comes on every Sunday from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. Any comments or views you'd like to share with us, please email us to africaonthemove2atgmail.com. Until next week, we would just like to share with you and remind you that, remember, to always strive to go forward, ever back with novel, and victory is certain. We thank you for allowing us to come to your home to us this evening, and you've been listening to Africa on the Move. We now will carry you back home to Mother Africa, and we'll see you next week.
my God, son, he lies and little girl and Corinne. To say the black of the best, the sweet of the juice, I say the dark of the flesh and the deep of the roots. I give a holler to my sister's own welfare. You clock in if don't nobody else care. And uh, I know they like to beat you down a lot. When you come around the block, brothers clown a lot. So please don't cry, dry your eyes, never let up.